She Loves Herself with Jill Ritchie, showing you how to embrace vulnerability and unearth your power within. Good morning, everyone, and welcome to another episode. In fact, it's the last episode of She Loves Herself, the podcast for season two. When I say the last episode, it's not like the last episode ever. It's the last episode for season two. And I said this on Monday on The Love Punch when I was talking about um, letting go of things that no longer serve us and being really true to yourself and trusting your gut. Um, That I was saying on that episode that I couldn't believe we were coming to the end of season two. Like when I created this podcast, um, it was the dream to interview people and get them to really open up about vulnerability, um, truth, purpose, authenticity, pain and shame. And I'm so honoured that every single guest that I've had on from season one up until now has allowed me to hold that space and really trusted me, not knowing me really. Well, a few people did because um, I knew a few people um, from doing some work with them in the past, but really there's lots of people on there that that didn't. And when I reached out to them to come on and actually Alice was one of them. Alice was someone that I actually had on my list for season one. You know, when you, you make a dream list of people and guests and she was one of them. Um, I've had Alice's Clean Eating Alice recipe book for like four and a half years Um her recipes are just so great. And so when she said yes, I was so delighted. Plus I've followed her journey. I've saw her from where she was um, four and a half years ago to the peak um, when she was in the front cover of Women's Health magazine. And then when she started talking about how things started to affect her mental health and So during this conversation in this episode, we explore her journey from musical theatre to um, the peak of her career, to what she's doing now, her app that's coming out. And during all of that, there's a real blend of lots of humour, lots of truth and lots of vulnerability too. Um, Huge gratitude to Alice for being brave and coming on and sharing the way she has. Um, And I'm grateful to all of my guests this season and for everyone who has listened to every episode that I've put out there. I always speak from my heart and I am really true to myself. Um, And for me, it's always in alignment. And I, I have told you guys over the last few weeks that season three, um, is going to take a slightly different direction, which I'm really excited about. But I'm also a little bit nervous because it is a bit out there. But for me, it's in full alignment and I have such a pull to to go in the direction that I'm going to go in. So that's probably going to be coming in the next six, seven, maybe eight weeks. Don't know exactly when, but I'll keep you all posted. But without further ado, I'm going to... um, send you guys over to the amazing episode with Alice Living. Thank you so much, every single person for supporting me. And I would love you to give this episode a five-star review um, and share it with your nearest and dearest. Sending you all so much love and I'll see you all very soon. She loves herself with Jill Ritchie. So welcome to the She Loves Herself podcast, Alice. Oh my gosh, I'm so, so happy that you're here. Thank you for having me. It's very exciting. Very exciting to be here. (laughs) I was actually just saying to Alice before um, we started recording that I'm a bit of a fangirl of Alice. I followed her for a few years. I'm like, oh, and I showed her her, um, our Clean Eating Alice book that I got about four and a half years ago. And there's a few recipes in there that are total like once a week numbers in the Richie Dunnigan household. <laughs> I love that. It's so weird. Like it's so weird hearing people still say, like I still find it very surreal when people are like, I've got your book or I've followed you for years. I'm like, you know, that that sort of stuff still doesn't feel quite normal. Yeah. <laughs> well, really I was going when you meet people, like I've bumped into people all over the world and they've been like, oh my God, I follow you. And I'm still have to do a double take and be like, are they talking to me? <laughs> yeah. Well, do you know what? I've got, I'll ask you about that actually. So when you, when someone says that to you, I've got your book and mm. I really love what you do. 
do you are you a good receiver Alice like can you fully receive what someone is saying because I know when people say things to me and I'm not at the you know the the following or anything like what you've got but when people give me compliments I, I found it hard sometimes to really open that heart space up and fully receive it almost as like oh that is so nice what they're saying but at the same time I'm like is that is that yeah do I feel that, do I feel that about myself yeah. what happens for you well, I, yeah, I find it really hard. And actually, um, there was an instance this weekend where I was walking with my boyfriend. We went for like a long walk and this girl stopped me and um, she was so kind and so nice. And she sort of said like, you know, you're amazing. And I followed you for ages. And I came to one of your talks a couple of years ago. And I sort of have this thing where like, I almost get choked up because I don't really know what to say. And I have like continuous, I've actually literally just done an Instagram story about this, but like continuous imposter syndrome of being like, apologetic for my success (laughs) like I find it really hard um to acknowledge that I have been successful and I find when people say that they admire me and that they have my books whatever part of me still feels like a complete fraud (laughs) and I think it's because you know I never set out to get the platform that I did. You know, when I first started blogging and and, and using Instagram as a way of of sharing what I was doing, like influencers didn't exist. Like this didn't Mm. exist as a career. It was never something that I thought, oh, that's what I want to try and achieve. You know, my page started as a private food diary as such. Uh, and, and it, you know, just so happened that people really resonated with what I was doing and it grew, but really like I never, ever imagined I'd be in the place I am now. So even, you know, six years later, when someone says to me, oh, you're amazing. I'm like, am I? Cause mm-hmm. you know, I also think I have this thing about, you know, we put people on pedestals so much and I sometimes worry when someone says, oh, you're, you're amazing. And I love what you do, you know? I am definitely imperfect and I am a flawed person and my brain goes straight to the fact that I'm like, no, I'm not that great. Like I have loads of flaws and I'm not that special. Um, but you know, they don't see that obviously, but it, it, that's the first thing that my brain thinks. And yeah, I still find it incredibly hard. So sorry, going back to this, what I said about this walk, it was only walking away from that girl that my boyfriend had turned to me and said like, that's really amazing, Alice. Like, that's so nice. And I was sort of like, no, 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 it's, it's, you know, it's, it's, it's nice. It's fine. It's, you know, I was sort of really dismissive about it. And he's like, no, you have to really acknowledge that like, that's a lovely thing to happen. And, you know, she was a genuine fan and, and um, I'm, try- I'm trying to be better at it, but I think um, my brain just hasn't quite yet adjusted still to the fact mm-hmm. that, um, that there are people out there that, that do really enjoy what I do. Um, you know, even I have things like, you know, a manager will say to me, oh, you work so hard. And I'm like, no, I don't, you know, compared to this person, I don't work that hard. Yeah. <laughs> I'm always sort of like, just not seeing myself as, as um, with the confidence that maybe I should, but, um, mm-hmm. but yeah, it is, it is still fairly surreal, but I'm trying to be better at just being like, thank you rather than being like, yeah. oh, no, no, no. <laughs> oh yeah. I know it's so many people do that though. It's like when you get a compliment, oh, oh, you're looking really good. Oh no, I'm not. Or oh, yeah a lot of people are struggling to receive and I, I think it's you know I never prepare for these episodes because I like it to flow but there's a reason obviously you've said about um receiving the struggle to receive and I, I really resonate with that but I guess some people will just look at you and think god you know you you you're amazing you know you should be so happy with everything that you've got you're a regular person right and I think when you've said your intention wasn't to be where you are right now, possibly in the beginning. So when you're catapulted into that, it's like, whoa, oh my gosh, all of this is coming to you super, super fast. Sometimes we don't have a chance to really process and catch up with it. It's like, oh, right. I need to, you know, how do I receive all of this confidently without, um, because there's always a pool of people that we think we need to play it down to as well, right? Mm. We need to play ourselves down to, because if, if I really am confident, um, then people won't like me if I have it all. Mm. People will then be against me. So I'll, I'll say this about myself first before they do. Um, I see that a lot with people. Do you know what I mean? It's like... Completely, yeah, yeah. 
Mm. And you're almost like trying, to, and, and that's probably part of why I am the way I am with in terms of receiving compliments and, and um, you know, comments from, from people that follow me is that like part of me sort of thinks, you know, if I jump in first and sort of say, oh, you know, I'm not that great or whatever, and <laughs> um, it it protects me from people saying that in reality, like, because I do get people that, you know, don't like me or will leave hurtful comments or messages or whatever, you know, that's something that I've grown used to, sadly, you know, it's a, the reality of, of being online these days is that you will always have people that disagree with what you do or just don't like it. And they feel the need to tell you that, Lord knows why, but... <laughs> But um, but I think, yeah, maybe it's a protective mechanism of being like, I, I'm so worried about being disliked. And actually, that's a big, big fear of mine. And something that I'm trying to work through is, you're right, you get catapulted into this space of, you know, people telling you you're great. And it almost causes you to develop this fear <laughs> of being disliked or people not liking you because um, it's a hard space to be in. But um yeah, I think maybe it's a protective mechanism to kind of, uh, you know, stop that that negative yeah. feedback is like, oh, no, if I say about myself, then no one else can say it, you know, and, and I can sort of um, sort of dumb it down. And the second thing, which I think you touched on there, which I think definitely is something that I do in myself, the people that I look up to most and the people that I want to be like are the people who are really self-assured and confident in their own success and they're happy to be um very you know clear and confident about what it is they've achieved and and how they've got there and and that they don't feel as though they need to be a bit self-deprecating in the way that they in the way that they've achieved their success i on the other hand unfortunately find myself in this place where I'm still very apologetic about my success. And it's because I'm worried about people thinking I'm getting too big for myself or I'm, I'm not grateful for the support that I have, or I'm, you know, I'm too, too much for some people. And I think as women, I'm like, how many times have you been told you're too much? It's like, is that even such a thing? But unfortunately yeah. it's always been ingrained in my brain that like, if I get too um, successful or too confident in my success, somehow that will, be a negative thing and people yeah. me and thinking oh she's so full of herself she just loves herself she loves herself yeah exactly that exactly that mm -hmm. and that's one of the reasons I created this podcast is to get people on to because that term she loves herself was such a negative thing when I was mm -hmm. at school and even sort of you know teenage or years and 20s Oh, that, oh, she loves herself. Like, who yeah. does she think she is? Absolute bitch. <laughs> She's not all that. Let's find all our flaws and put her down. But what I've really realised over the last three years of doing this deep, deep work and research is that that is not your stuff. That's what they're projecting onto you. I remember hearing the saying, what people think of me is none of my business. And I didn't used to get it. The very first coach I worked with, Alice, she said to me, why does it bother you what people think? So my first session with her, I started crying about something. I was like, oh, this, this person's put this on social media and I, and I think they're meaning it about me and I'm a good person and why are they trying to say this? And I was so hurt. And she, she said, like, why do you care? Mm. And I couldn't get it. I went, what, what do you mean? Why do I care? Of course I care. It could be about me. And she's like, yeah, I know, but why do you care? Mm. And now I get it. Mm. I get it because we're so conditioned and programmed to care what other people think. We are compared as babies, as toddlers, first walking, first talking. I talk about this a lot mm. at school, top, middle, bottom group, sports mm. day, racing, always you know everything you're compared to if you know Alice I'll, I'll touch on this obviously because you were in musical theatre you go to auditions you're you're picked or you're not picked we place our self-worth from the age of whatever young 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 on being validated externally by other sources so is it any wonder that we then struggle to you know, with, with that moving forward in our life. And it really takes a lot of discipline to go in and do that work mm -hmm. to come back to the self and really understand that we are all whole. And actually we have all different sides to ourselves. We have an angry self. 
we have a limiting belief self, we have a emotional self, we have a happy self, we have all of the emotions. There's a great poem by um, Rumi called The Guest House and he talks about basically your life is like a guest house every day a new arrival welcome them in with love treat them like a friend we resist it all because we're like I don't want to feel this I don't want to feel that I just want to feel happy all the time but actually all of these emotions have messages for us and the problem we have is we live our lives most a lot of us um live our lives through the acceptance and validation of what people think of us and it's and it's so sad and we wonder why mental health is at an all-time high um and what it does is because because we do that we also struggle with boundaries we don't really have very good boundaries for ourselves because we're putting it out putting ourselves out there and the boundary isn't there therefore people then can attack you know and you you mentioned that we'll touch on it trolls and people that that feel the need to project their shit onto you and because the boundaries not there and the, the deep inner work that so many people haven't really done um because they didn't realize that they could because they thought I had to get my validation externally either from a doctor or from other people the boundary not being there the attack and and the noise just comes in and we're just so open to oh almost um, self-harm in a way you know um, because we are so powerful and everyone listening to this like you have everything that you need internally to survive in this lifetime and not only to survive but live happy and abundant mm. um, if we only maybe realize the power that we hold within mm. to go in if we just understood that we wouldn't probably have all of the noise that's going on and all of the um yeah the damage yeah absolutely I think the comparison thing is a huge thing and you know it's greater than ever before because we all play out our lives so publicly now you know we're at a time when everything is about the visual even this year you know it's been we've lived our lives vicariously through social media essentially yeah. everything is about looking at other people online what other people are doing you know we have windows into more lives than ever before and it would be crazy to think that that wouldn't have an impact on our mental well-being you know I personally uh, have had to be really strict on myself with the amount of time I spend viewing other people's content because my brain automatically goes to default of oh I've not got this or she's got that and I should have that or I need to do this because that person's doing that. You know, we are almost like, as you said, we're programmed into this idea of comparison and tied up in that is also validation of the self. And we use social media and I have been 100% guilty of this to validate myself many, many times. You know, mm -hmm. think about I've had days where I've been feeling a bit rubbish and I've needed that boost of confidence and rather than look inside of myself and say okay I'm doing okay today I'm having a good day or even just accepting that I can have a bad day yeah. I've taken to social media and posted something where I'm like I just need to be told this is good mm -hmm. or I need to get validation from other people that saddens me and that's something that I'm really trying to work through but it's something that I'm happy to admit because I think so many of us do it we you know we seek external validation for everything yeah rather than being able to look inside ourselves and have the confidence from within it's hard and believe me when I say like this takes like years of work because we've had years of of the of the of the kind of the input of comparison culture and um feeling less than uh, you know to unravel that takes work and it takes consistency you know I've had therapy now for the last year and even now I'm still coming up against things that I find really challenging and confronting with the way that I behave and how I operate. You know, my therapist said to me, I think you need to take a week off social media. And my automatic thing was, I can't do that. You know, I can't, I can't step away from it for a week. Like it's my job. And, you know, I, I thought of every excuse going to, to say why I couldn't do that. But in reality, when we broke it down and we discussed it, it was more about, well, what's going to fill that space that social media fills for me? Because that has been such a big part of who I am. Yeah. 
you know, what, what fills that void? If I'm not getting validation from strangers online, where do you fill that void from? And it has to come from within. Oh yeah. And there's so much resistance to doing it. Right. Mm. And actually what happens is when you take that time off resistance, then resentment, every emotion comes at you and you're like, I'm losing my mind. <laughs> you know? I, I mean, yeah. I to never to the level of what you have experienced but I remember even just taking a month off in December and all of the emotions oh one minute I was crying the next minute I was angry the next minute I was you know I was I was like all over the place and I think it is just that when you sit in stillness and you just be you're just in the being rather than the mind constantly looking and searching next, next, next. It isn't healthy. And we get to that point of burnout. You know, I, I am so flexible with work, but I mean, I was dealing with um, ill health in the family and there was so much going on and um, I needed to for my own, you know, because obviously the work I do, I need to restore my own energy and, so that I can um, help other people. But having that month off, I, honestly, for the first 10 days, I was like, I don't like this. I, oh, my coach is an arsehole making me do this. Yeah. <laughs> but, oh my God, best thing. So I want to ask, did you manage to take the week off or not? No, no, I did. You I, did I, it. I did do it. And, and I found it... Um, I found it really hard. Yeah. I wasn't able to like delete it completely. And I still found myself like checking in and out of it a little bit, but just not posting. And I think definitely like I have a big few months of work coming up, like a lot of, uh, you know, my apps coming out and really like this year has been crescendoing towards the next few months for me. So it's not really the time now, Mm -hmm. but I think, this time next year, maybe, or towards December next year, you know, I will definitely take some time out. You know, I want to go away with Paddy when we can, you know, um, safely and just have some downtime. Cause I think, you know, all of us are processing varying levels of trauma from the past year, Mm. right? Like Mm. it's been, whether you even recognize it or not, it's been a tough time for everyone, you know, and some much worse than others might be at. I happily admit that, you know, my my situation hasn't been terrible no like I've managed to still work and I've managed to you know I've got a nice flat and a great boyfriend and whatever but there have still been incredibly challenging times and I think you know if I could impart one piece of of advice for that I've learned is that like processing trauma takes time and it's hard work and um you know my my experience of that was coming out of you know an abusive relationship 10 years later, I was still doing the work. That's, that's how long it took me to really process that stuff and to be able to have headspace and the, um, strength, I guess, to be able to process what those emotions were and to bring them up again. So I think definitely after this year that we've all had just everyone taking time to reflect and to just sit with whatever feelings come up about, about the last year. And for me, a lot of that is, um, just feeling, um, I guess, trapped and um, so many emotions around, you know, a lot of my family were really, my granddad was in hospital with COVID. I've had lots of friends been ill and yeah, it's it's been hard. Like, mm. I just think it's something that we're all going to have to process in our own time. When things yeah. start to go back to normal, I don't have this kind of sweet illusion of you know, come March, uh, not March, come June 21st, that suddenly click the fingers and life will be like, oh, it's all happy and great again. You know, yeah. I know for me, change is a big disruptor to my mental well-being, and that I'm really going to have to take these transi- transitions in my own time because I'm not someone that can just suddenly go from, you know, one day being in lockdown to the next thing like, oh, amazing, let's go out and be happy and do whatever. Like, I'm going to have to really work on taking that in my own time. But yeah, processing that is going to be going to be hard work I think yeah and there's quite a lot that you that you mentioned there um around you know processing things and the journey that you've been on and what when you first started in the industry like what was it you did before then so was it that you know you said it wasn't the plan when you started blogging yeah you know before then Mm -hmm musical theatre right Mm -hmm. when you were a little girl Alice was it the dream 
to just be in musical theatre or? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, yeah, so for as far back as I can remember, um, in this year I wanted to be a ballerina. Um, that was my dream. I loved ballet. I would go, you know, however many, five days a week, sometimes more. Um, but I I did like English National Ballet. And then I, um, I decided that, well, not I decided, I think it was very much decided for me that my body wasn't quite right for that industry and that it would be um, tough for me to succeed in that space. So then I sort of pivoted and I took up singing when I was sort of, I would say I was about 11 or 12. Um, and just fell in love with it. Like singing for me is the most cathartic, therapeutic thing. Um, and I just loved it. And I did all sorts of creative stuff. So everything from, I would go to like drama club and I would go um, on a weekend, I would go to Sylvia Young's, I would have singing lessons, I would dance, I would do everything. And um, so yeah, everything was basically geared towards going going into that industry. Um, I had a bit of a wobble, like I, I experienced that stage of my life where I was a teenager and I had a boyfriend and I had, you know, I kind of stepped away from quite a few things um, because I was like, oh, I want to be mature and independent and not do musical theatre on the weekends. Um, But I came back to it and I decided, you know, I found one of the hardest, I guess, periods of my life was, was I went to a very academic school. I was in a very academic group of friends and I was the only person who didn't go to like a top uni. You know, I decided to go away to do, to, to, to study musical theater at a college in South London. And, and that was really alien to anyone at my school who wasn't doing anything like that. Um, and I think that was hard. And it meant that I have sort of unfortunately moved away from that friendship group we just ended up doing this because my life went you know in showbiz world and theirs went down a very much more sort of um uni classic uni life you know my my training I went to a place called Bird College was you were in ballet at 8 a.m every day and you didn't finish sometimes till 10 o'clock at night and we would dance we would sing we would rehearse we would do you know my days were jam-packed on weekends we'd have rehearsals like it was the hardest three years of my life. Um, training in musical theater is is tough. You know, it's not some kind of jolly. And, and I took it really seriously. I think I had my wobbles definitely along the way. I remember in my first year, um, we had this teacher who was so strict. Like if you imagine like the old ballet master, like with a almost mm. like just, just terrifying. And he made me cry in one of my ballet lessons. And I remember ringing my mom that night and being like, I'm coming home. This is awful. I hate it. Um, but, but you know, my mom's great. Like she was like, no, you're not. She was like, get over it and get back to it. Cause you love what you're doing. But, <laughs> but, um, but yeah, I, I definitely found it a really, really tough three years. And awesome. then yeah, yeah, coming out the back of that, I, um, I graduated early. I was the first person in my year to get a job, went into Annie the Musical, toured for a year with that, um, and really had the most amazing time. And, you know, I look back at the things that I think have shaped me, and I think both really positively and probably negatively, theatre has, and my training has shaped me as a person. Um, I would say that um, positives are absolutely the ability to speak publicly, to be confident in front of an audience, to um, to really be in touch with my create inner creative side and, and to and to love like that that's that world, you know. Um, so yes, to be in touch with like my inner creative side. Um, but on the negative side, I would say big things like body image. Mm-hmm. I think actually I look at my college now, I follow them on like social media and stuff and I see some of the stuff they do and, and the, the, the types of people that are coming through, like there's definitely been a shift and I think they're much more diverse now, but you know, my year, we were still in that kind of tough time of if you're not stick thin and if you don't look the part, you're not quite right. And, you know, I had many difficult times in my first year um, where I felt really out of place physically I would hate you know ballet classes I'd have to be stood in a leotard in looking in a mirror with you know 15 other girls who were all had legs up to my head you know I'm only tiny so um that was really tough um and I think that that unfortunately set off I guess what that first stage of of like clean eating Alice and all that really was about was 
I felt like I had to shrink myself to be accepted in that industry. And so my body had to change. And that was where my initial motivation came from when I started doing what I was doing was I need to be, um, I really remember it like so vividly. I had a, had a, uh, it was end of my first year and I had a, um, like a review with my, with my, uh, class, uh, not my class, my year teacher, head teacher. And she sat me down and we were going through my reports from my different, um, uh, assessment grades and stuff. And she'd said, look, Alice, like, you you really need to get stronger like you lack core strength um and it's really obvious that you you need to work on that and like I don't think she meant it in a negative way I think she was actually trying to be quite helpful but that to me was like a red rag to a bull and and suddenly I literally from you know not ever going to the gym was like I need to get strong. I need to be the strongest dancer in the room because I know I'm not going to be the best dancer. I know where my strengths lie, but if I can at least look the part, then great. You know, and I remember being in a, I had an audition for the um, Mamma Mia in the West End. And I just remember the choreographer coming up to me and saying like, you look amazing for this part, but you're not a good enough dancer to get it. <laughs> like <laughs> that was what I ended up having to be up against. I remember, yeah, it's crazy. She was like, I want your body in this show, but you're not, um, you're not a good enough dancer. Wow. How old were um, you when all of this was going on, Alice? So I went away to uni, um, to Bird College when I was, oh God. So I was nine, yeah, took, taking a gap year. So I was like 19, 20. And then I left when I was 22. So yeah, it's, it's, it was like a, it was, it was an amazing experience and I loved my college experience. I had amazing friends. Like I made, yeah, incredible friends and had a great time. Um, mm. But I think that you, when you're able to look back and reflect yeah. on some of these things, I can see how toxic the environment was in some situations. Um, you know, I remember in my first year, this girl in my class was like, yeah, I basically just live off Diet Cokes. And, um, you know, I sort of like have a chocolate bar at the end of the day, but that's it. And I just remember being like, oh my God, like we were, we were so, yeah, so not healthy, but, um, but yeah, it's an, it was an interesting time. Mm, for sure. And I'm, thank you so much for sharing so openly about your experience. And, you know, I love that you're saying, you know, it, it's not against anyone that when you were there, you know, and those people, those teachers, they were doing, that's their programs and that's how they were you know, showing up and that was probably what was passed down to them. That's how they learned the industry. Actually, it's no one's fault. It's the situation and the circumstances. But when you look back and you hear that emotionally, like I felt emotional as you shared that because you can see how people really struggle, like young girls. And even I went back as you were speaking, I went right back to the image of you when you were really little as a ballerina. And, you know, we can joke and we can say, oh, you know, I figured out that my body wasn't right for, you know, a ballerina, but I loved it so much. Actually, when you just pause and you hold that space for that little girl, that inner child, that's really emotional because that was probably one of the moments where, it came in and that story and that belief came in that you were good at, you know, you were good, but you know, you weren't really all that. And you, 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 mm. and this is, this is the pattern of, I knew I wasn't the best dancer, but I would make sure that I had the best body. And, mm. and then the person at Mamma Mia saying to you, I really want your body in here, but you're just not a good enough dancer. Like constantly being told by other people, you're just not, you're not what we're looking for. Yeah, and, yeah. yeah. And those hits of, and so those hits of people telling you that you are good was that, you know, that dopamine, that hit to go, oh, I feel good again. I feel good again. So when you're in a place, Alice, of, and we can understand this now, when you're in a place of feeling low and you need that quick hit again, you put that post out on Instagram so that mm -hmm. lots of people message you and you just get that reassurance again. Mm -hmm almost always it always comes down to some inner child trauma mm. that's happened and we've not processed and because we're told you know toughen up and when mum told you that and I was told the same and mm. you know at times we do need to have you know thick skin with certain things but that is childhood trauma and 
everyone has trauma. You mentioned this to a certain degree, but what we often tend to do is diminish our trauma because we say, well, you know, I was really lucky. I had so many opportunities that other people didn't have. Mm-hmm. But you don't process and really heal and mm-hmm. allow yourself to feel how how painful and sad mm-hmm. that was and emotional that was and mm-hmm. lonely, lonely probably at times. Mm-hmm. Um, Because we feel guilt. I shouldn't complain. Mm. You know, there's good and bad. Take the rough with the smooth and nothing's perfect. All these terms that were that tell us that, oh, you know, you shouldn't be crying about that. You shouldn't feel sad about that because you're really lucky. Okay, then I guess I'll just push that emotion down again. I guess I guess I'll just ignore that emotion but it never ever leaves you it never does what what you do is you suppress that emotion and it starts to manifest in your your well-being and your mental health even 20 30 40 years later I have women that come to me even even in their 60s and it always honestly always goes back to something that happened as a child um yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's it's an emotional one. And you talked about obviously losing sort of friendships and that that kind of thing happens. And when you decided to step away from musical theatre, was that just, a, was it a reason for that? Or was it just yeah. because the path you started to go on? Well, I think at the time I had the ability to fall back on, oh, I'm leaving because I've got this amazing book deal and I'm going to go away and focus on that for a bit. And then I'll just see how I get on and I'm, I'll probably come back. You know, my, my goal was very much to, to not leave, but to just take a bit of a break and then come back. But when, I'm na- when I now look back on it, I think that one of the things that I found really hard was in my show, um, I was working with incredibly talented performers, like amazing dancers, um, singers. And towards the end of the show, naturally, you have a year contract. People then start to have to audition again for other jobs. And I just remember seeing, you know, all these people that were around me in my cast going out for audition after audition and um, getting those and looking at that and being like, am I strong enough to be able to cope with this? You know, like I, I think you have to have mental strength beyond any other thing that I've ever experienced to have to deal with the amount of rejection that performers deal with. I admire more than anyone, my friends who get knocked down five times in a week. Sometimes, you know, they'll go and absolutely give their soul to an audition and, and just blood, sweat, you know, tears, everything. And to then have to walk away from that with nothing and to be told, no, you're not quite right. You know, I just, I think deep down had a recognition of the fact that I don't know whether I'm mentally strong enough to do this. I have an opportunity to have job security, to explore other opportunities that might be equally fulfilling in terms of like a performance style of job, but that's just a bit more secure and a bit, a bit less about, you know, having to be in, in auditions um, and have to be compared and, and, um, compete with all these other people on a, on a weekly basis, sometimes a daily basis. Um, so now I look at that and I think whether subconsciously or consciously, I think I knew that, that, that it wasn't something that I could do long-term and I'd had mm-hmm. great success. And I think one of the hardest things for performers, and if anyone's listening that is in that space, like when you're at college, it's a real bubble. You know, you think that those are the only people that you're competing against. So your year group becomes what you sort of compare yourself against naturally. So, you know, my year, I'd, I'd, I'd say, you know, oh, I'm just as good as this person or she's better than me. But that was the only that was the only group of people that you'd compare yourself yeah. to. When you graduate and you go out into these auditions where there are thousands and thousands of people who are all so talented and so good at what they do, I cannot tell you like the the feeling of um of what that does to you if you're having to do that on a like a almost a oh day. Oh my basis. god, I like, can it's imagine. Just, it's, just, wow. it's just tough. And and so I so I think that yeah, stepping away was on the one hand a really sad decision, and I definitely miss that world in some respects, but I am 
so much happier with where I'm at now job wise I feel like I have the security and the confidence in what I do Uh, I feel like I have autonomy over my job success in a way that I didn't in that industry and I think that um I think that that world has a lot to answer for when it comes to mental well-being. You know, I've had conversations with my friends who were in that industry over the last year. And, you know, the fact that my friend can get an, uh, a grant for his hamstring from the arts fund or whatever. I don't know, I can't remember which fund it was from, but because he's got a hamstring injury. But yet there wasn't any money or as far as I'm aware, set aside for, for their mental well-being. Those are the people who have been out of work for a year with yeah. absolutely no respite. Like shows did not go back. And um, yeah, that's me having a little bit of a rant, but I just think, you know, it's an industry where mental well-being has a lot um, to, to do with people. Yeah, it has a, has a lot to answer for. And, and I think it's something that that probably needs a lot of looking into. Yeah. Oh my goodness, for sure. Certainly what you've explained to me, I think if you're constantly putting yourself out there to be rejected on a weekly basis, Mm. um, oh, mental wellbeing is super important everywhere, but specifically in this industry, for Mm. sure. I'm, you know, really listen to what you're saying there and honour and that struggle for them. Um, Yeah, definitely something needs to be done there, right? For sure. Um, I actually have a client who um, is becoming a coach and she had done musical theatre for a while and Mm -hmm. she said something similar to me um, and she wanted to take her coaching practice into um, Mm -hmm. the musical theatre industry because she said that constant rejection there's nothing there's no support there for Mm -hmm. people and their mental well-being and they need it Mm -hmm. Um, and so I wanted to um, take you into the journey of you know coming away and obviously getting the book deal Mm. um were you approached then so did they approach you on the back of your Instagram can you just Mm. tell us a wee bit about how that came about yeah yeah so I I was approached initially I was actually approached by a management team who had said you know we're really interested in working with you um I um yeah, I was at the time in quite a toxic business relationship with a group of people who I won't name, but I was initially in that in that business as their female face of the company, basically. And um, I was approached by this management and actually it was one of those, it's a moment in my life where I'm like, this is so surreal that I let this happen. But basically they said to me like, oh, you shouldn't sign with her, Alice. Like you shouldn't sign with her because she's going to take you away from us and she's going to make you, you know, it's just, it's crazy when I think about it now, like I was just so young and uninformed. Um, but um, yeah, I ended up meeting with them and signing with her and um Along with her, she had a literary agent, a woman called Carly Cook, who is unbelievable and incredible woman and who I still credit my success to in terms of the book world. Like she was amazing. And she's worked on basically every top book from bloggers going. Like she's amazing. amazing. Um, but she basically helped me to get the book deal. And she, like, as part of my meeting with them, it was like, look, Alice, we really think this would be something that you should do. Um, are you interested in it? And I was like, well, yeah, of course. Like that would be amazing. And, um, and so, yeah, it was really through that, that I then got the book deal and through, through Carly, um, that that came about. And so I signed a two book deal. Um, so I released, um, the body Bible was my first book and then eat well every day. The second one, um, came out the, the year after that. So, um, yeah, it's been, been an amazing opportunity. Um, and, and something that I'm yeah really grateful to have been able to do. Definitely. And then, you know, you're the growth of you and you've, popping out and obviously I came across you and so many other people would have at that point and during that mm. period and things on the outside seemed to just be going from strength to strength you know what you were putting out how you looked how you appeared mm. and what I've always say about you is you're you have I love when you come on and you've come on for years you'll you'll be looking really glad but you'll also used to walk in the mornings doing your 6am yeah, yeah. Right. I used to tune in to them. I loved it. Sometimes you'd have makeup on, sometimes you wouldn't. Mm. You were very authentic and real mm. in terms of what content you were putting out. For me, when I watched you, there was a real balance there. Mm. What I found super um interesting and quite emotional when I saw that journey after when you were on women's health, that spread was just like wow. 
your energy popped. It was like, God, this girl's just, you know, just that girl next door. It's just beautiful, beautiful energy. But then you started to share more openly and vulnerably a bit more around the struggles Mm. um, with various different ways and how you were sort of showing up and the pressure. Mm. What happened in that moment, Alice, that what did, you know, what happened? What was the turning point for you when you thought, I'm not being maybe fully true to myself here. I need to, you know, what, what, can you explain a little bit more about that? Yeah, I think, you know, really it was a case of I can't keep this up I just it was you know like speak to anyone who's been had that lower body fat and they'll tell you that it's hard hard work you know like I was not living what I now know to be a healthy life at the time I thought this is fine this is healthy you know um and I you know I look great um but really it's just, it was hard work. And it was really recognizing as well that I'd actually come a long way from health. Mm. You know, if, if health was my goal, which unfortunately wasn't in the first few years, my goal was I want to be as lean as possible. But health soon became my goal when I recognized that I just didn't feel as good as I wanted to. You know, I got the abs, I looked the part and I suddenly turned around. And I was like, well, this, this doesn't, this doesn't buzz me in the way that I thought it was going to, you know, this hasn't quite filled that void that I thought being in a smaller body was going to. And it was really then that I was like, well, if it isn't my weight, then what is it? Because Mm -hmm. we are so conditioned to believe that losing weight or being in a smaller body is our key to happiness from as far back as I can remember, my mom was on a diet. She was always trying to lose weight. You know, life was about women always being on a diet. Even if I think back to like the magazines we'd have around the house, you know, the amount of um, subliminal messaging that you mm. consume telling you that you always have to be in a smaller body. And my natural physique is not lean. You know, I don't have spindly arms and legs. I'm built quite muscly and um, I'm quite straight up and down. And really what I was trying to do was to like to to really trick my genetics into thinking that I was small, but my body isn't made to be like that. So in order for me to achieve that physique, I was working really damn hard. I was overtraining. I wasn't eating enough. And in my head, I was thinking, this is everything I need to do. And I'm so committed and dedicated. And, you know, I'm getting to the body that I want. But really what I was doing was unraveling the the genetic code that made me healthy and, 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 you know, whatever. So it was just, I was constantly fighting my body. Mm. And I think you just get to a point where you say, I can't do this anymore. Like I'm tired of fighting and I'm just going to give in to whatever is now going to be. And, you know, that has been a really hard journey and one that I don't profess to have been coming, come out the other side of, I'm not sitting here saying I wake up every day and go, Oh, I love my body. Cause I don't. And I'd be lying if I said that, but I wake up a lot more often than I used to thinking I am okay with where I'm at. You know, I'm okay with who I am and where I'm at. And it might not be the body that I thought I wanted, but it's the body that I've been given and it's healthy and it sees me through so many things. And that's what I need to start accepting. And, you know, I think part of my issues now lie in the fact that my job is so publicly front facing. So unlike, you know, if I was in a regular career where I was just going to a, to a desk job every day, I would probably be in a different space because I wouldn't have to be in a crop top and leggings on Instagram to over a thousand people every morning. Um, but my job challenges me all the time in terms of body confidence and acceptance. There are definitely days where I do not feel good putting on my leggings and and standing on, 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 on my screen and saying, morning guys, like welcome to today's workout. But I do it because I know that showing up is so important for other people. You know, like I, I get comfort in the fact that whilst my body isn't what it used to be, it's way more achievable and realistic for those that are tuning into my workouts or following me online. You know, it's, Mm -hmm. it's an achievable, healthy body. And 
I'm proud of that. And, and whilst there are days, like I said, that I do find it really challenging to accept where I'm at, particularly coming from a much smaller body to where I am now, your brain tells you, oh, you know, you've put on weight, mm. these clothes don't fit. You know, we can hold ourselves to such, such high standards, but it's a constant battle of, of working through those negative thoughts and of trying to overcome the the things that we once told ourselves to lay down new thought patterns and new ways of, of managing things. Um, mm. And I think that my, my biggest thing that I tell people is that journey is never over. You know, I think we see this really unrealistic ideal online of people sort of gaining weight and being like, oh, and now my job is done and I'm healthy and you can do it too kind of thing. <laughs> and I really don't buy into that. I just think, you know, as women, our bodies will constantly change and men, but our bodies will constantly change, whether that's, you know, going through your twenties, going through your thirties, having kids, menopause, whatever it is that you're going through, like there are always going to be changes. You know, we're not supposed to be in the same body that we were in when we were 22. No. Our bodies are made to change. And, yeah. that. and so rather than cling on to this, like, crazy ideal of how you looked or the size that you were when you were younger like I am constantly working on every day waking up and looking in the mirror or not looking in the mirror even Mm. and just being like I'm cool with where I'm at and tomorrow it might be different and the next week it might be different but where I'm at today I'm good you know and so that's like that's where I'm at now but um going back to your question um I just feel that um it was a it was a difficult thing to do publicly is what I would say. That's what I found hardest mm-hmm. because, and I was actually talking about this last night at an event, um, going through that privately is tough, but I think going through that with an audience of however many hundreds of thousands of people who saw you in one body and were like, oh, this is great, this is amazing, this is Alice that we love, to then go away from that and change and then be like, oh, but you said this and now you're saying that. And and actually, who are you really? And what do you stand for? Because if mm. you just change, like, you know, I found that really, really challenging. And I think part of all the work that I've been doing over the last few years is I am able to hold my hands up and say I've made mistakes and I'm willing to admit when I was wrong. And as long as I'm transparent and honest with those things, nobody can come at me. Do you know what I mean? Like that's that's basically what the last few Speak years. Your truth. Speak your truth. Mm. Listen, Alice, I did things last week that I wouldn't do again. Yeah. <laughs> do you know what I mean? Yeah. And this pressure is ridiculous. Mm. And I, I think it's so brave of you. And whilst you probably got so much support for showing up authentically saying, you know, I thought this was right then. I've realised it's actually not for me now. I've changed my mind. This is how I'm feeling about the situation. You'd have got so much support, but I imagine you'd have got people when you said the equation, well, you said this and now you're saying this. I mean, there's always people out there that's got something to say about it, right? Did you get a lot of pushback from people and negativity from people around that then um yes and no like I definitely got some you know for the most part it was positive and and I can't lie and say it wasn't it was you know it was was for the most part positive yeah absolutely there were people who were like you know who unfollowed me or who didn't resonate with my messaging anymore or, or who sort of questioned um, why I changed what I thought or what, why I suddenly was like saying one thing when I'd said another thing a couple of months before. Um, and so it was really about like having honest conversations with those people. Mm-hmm. And I think, you know, I can understand when you hold someone or put someone on a pedestal in that way and they suddenly say, oh, actually, I don't think that anymore. You know, I, I can understand why people felt the need to message me and say, well, hang on a second. I thought you said this. And it's really just about having those conversations with those people and saying, you know, in life, like we make mistakes, we're made to, we're fallible, we're, you know, we're human and, um, and this is one of mine and it might feel challenging for you to, to accept, but I'm trying to live as honestly and be as honest with my audience as possible. And that means that when I do make mistakes, I have to hold my hands up and admit that. And I guess it's good to be able to do that. And it's also quite healing. It takes that element of pressure away a little bit I imagine when you can just Mm. start speaking more of your truth I personally thought it was 
amazing that you did it because actually in the main most people are like that mm. so they're like oh thank god mm. it's like thank god she's just said that thank god she's sharing this because mm. again we put people on a pedestal I remember having a coach a, a mentor coach in the beginning and he always seemed and I'm actually good friends with him now and he always seemed to so like perfect and kind and calm and never looked like he would lose his shit and I remember thinking oh god how am I ever going to be a good coach when I'm just I've just screamed at my kids to put their shoes on because mm-hmm. they've not done it for the 25th million time and then I remember getting really upset going I just maybe can't be a coach because I mean I still get lose my shit sometimes and I said I messaged him about six months or maybe even a year later saying like Ali do you ever like get pissed off or triggered by people or situations and he went yeah all the time why did you think I wouldn't Mm. And straight away, I was annoyed at myself, Alice, because I thought, that's me, that's not him. Mm. That's me that's put him on a pedestal and tried to be more like him because I thought that was what I should be like. But no one is like that. Like, Mm. no one is. And I think people need to understand that it's great to admire people and take parts of people that you like and be inspired by them for sure, but never put your like your worth worth or sense of worth mm. into the hands of an Instagram post or a highlight reel or what you mm. think that's a short snippet of what you're seeing you're not seeing what's going on behind closed doors um and so when you went through that transition and you met, mentioned Alice that you then started working with a therapist for the last year which I think mm. is just amazing well done for doing that and it's really inspiring to anyone listening doing that in our work what was the turning point for you there to just say right do you know what I'm going to get some help with this mm. well I think it's been something that I actually tr- uh, and this is really important to say I've actually met with other therapists I'd known that I needed to speak to someone and about various different things and just offloading and, and having like someone to to be able to deal with those emotions with um for a long time but actually um I'd had this thing where I knew I needed a therapist so I kind of just went with anyone and I you know found a therapist and went and sat I remember going to this like woman's little room and sitting opposite her and you know she just sat there in silence and I outpoured all of this stuff um and sort of finished and she was just like "Mm -hmm." (laughs) you know it was just like there was zero connection and that's because that was her style of therapy and it's no reflection on her it was just it so did not work for me I left feeling worse and feeling like really confused and like Mm -hmm. what just happened that felt weird like I feel like I've just you know poured my heart out to this woman and she didn't even seem like she really cared um and really, like, I I sort of was then put off therapy for a bit. Then I found another therapist, not found, but then I got to another stage where I thought I really need to get some therapy. And I found someone else and went to her and she was quite young and a bit, a bit more conversational. But again, we just didn't have a connection and I found it quite hard and, and I think a lot of this as well, and, and to take full ownership of it, I think maybe I wasn't in the right place to, to, yeah. to receive therapy. I think part of it was probably that. Um, but when it got to last year, it's the most serendipitous thing, but I saw this therapist follow me on Twitter, really random. And it was at a time and an exact moment, actually, that I can pinpoint where I was like, I really need some help. I need to be helped by someone. I need to talk to someone about stuff that I've got going on. And she followed me and I suddenly thought, I'm just going to message her. Like, she just followed me. It's a therapist. I'll just give it a go. Uh, and she had on her thing that she did like virtual therapy. So it was all via Zoom. Yeah, yeah. And uh, so contacted her and started my therapy sessions with her last August. And it's just been the most amazing thing. You know, I finally found someone who I really connected with. We have really like... Dis, uh, we, we we have like discussions about stuff you know it's not just like me coming yeah. and being like oh I've had a really crap day it's like we talk about things and and pick them apart a bit and she helps me to unpick and then put back together a lot of the thoughts that I might be having that I can't quite work out myself and really um I think it's a case of re- reminding people that 
just because you've tried therapy once and it didn't quite work, don't give up because there's a right therapist for all of us. And actually my therapist and I had a conversation about how, how therapy is really about a relationship. Like you've got to like the other person, you know, it's got to be a space where you feel comfortable, where you feel like you can chat to the other person openly. And, um, and so just because the first time you meet with someone, it doesn't quite feel right. Don't give up because mm. finding her has really helped me through this year more than anything. Um, and, you know, I went from seeing her once a week and we now do every other week. Um, but it's just been so helpful. And I think, you know, any worries I had around therapy have completely gone because I now see it as being like a really he healthy thing to do um but yeah I, I would definitely recommend just making sure that you find a therapist that you really click with yeah oh 100% I say that to people all the time when they reach out to do um the inner work and I mm. say always make sure that you find the one that's right for you there's got to be a synergy there there's got to be a connection um and a safe space I, I believe to do that you know that healing work you mm. talked about the unpacking mm. and I absolutely get it and we have all got you know bags and bags of stuff that we're mm -hmm. carrying mm. that we just need to understand that it's safe to actually go into those shadow parts of ourselves and shine light in there um, and heal from it. We're, I said in the beginning, we are all so powerful. We can heal anything, um, particularly emotional baggage that we're carrying and shame because we do often hold shame. And some of the time, you you probably know this from your, your work with your therapist, we don't even know what it is you know, why we're acting the way we're acting. And then we go into maybe a session with a therapist or a coach and suddenly we're crying. It's like, well, where did that come from? Well, this thing when I was seven, this person said this and I'm crying about it now. And I'm like, what's going on? But it's so great to go in and unpick it and understand that actually let's just go in and hold space for it and shine light. And that's where the healing really takes place. And you're able to then create that space, Alice, to bring in more of the things that resonate with you now that you want to create now and in your future whereas if we're trying to just bring all these things in we may get them external things but they don't land it's like when we were talking about receiving sometimes we struggle to receive because our heart is closed off whether that's from a toxic relationship that we may have been in or um, an absent parent as, as a child we close that heart off and we when we go in and do this work we understand that actually it doesn't feel safe to have the heart open because it feels vulnerable mm -hmm. and that's why often people struggle to receive and mm -hmm. it's important to do this work rather than looking for things to external things to make it better so mm -hmm. I think it's incredible that you're doing that and it's really inspiring and you know keep shining your light and sharing with people what you're doing because there for every one person that maybe doesn't like it there is thousands and thousands of people that are watching you and are feeling inspired mm -hmm. every single day with what you're doing thank you that's really kind <laughs> well that has to be said and you're real and authentic and you know if there's days that you're not feeling it who, who does exactly exactly that let's normalize it right mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. um so just before we finish up I want to ask you you talked about your app let's mm -hmm. talk about something super exciting mm -hmm. that you're working on yeah so the pictures you're looking gorgeous and when you're saying about the small body I mean I look at you and think god she looks amazing she's tiny god you look gorgeous so tell us about your app yeah so I I mean it's been one of those things where like I've probably not had the confidence and actually just was writing a story about this before I came on that I am so fearful of failure that like I have held myself back from doing something like this for years. You know, I could have done an app and I just thought, no, I'm not ready. Um, but I finally felt like this year was a year when I really was able to um, gain confidence as a coach. I think coaching online, teaching my classes for the whole year has been so transformative for me. And I suddenly just felt like it was the right time to create something and um and so yeah I'm building an app it's called give me strength um and really we want to focus on every every aspect of strength physical mental inner strength 
um, you know, a whole spectrum of what strength means to, to the individual. So yes, there's absolutely like workout programs on there. We have a whole range of delicious recipes. Um, we have like an education section to learn about mental well-being, to learn about sleep, to learn about um, mobility, like all of the things that are important to our overall health and well-being, not just, you know, the food we eat or, um, you know, the um, the exercise we do. Um, and so, yeah, I'm super, super excited about this. It comes out on the 1st of June. Um, so, yeah, that's been my my big project of the last few months. I mean, it's been stressful, but it's been amazing. And I'm so excited for its launch. Well, I'm excited as well. I'll definitely <laughs> need to be getting involved in that because it just sounds wonderful. I love that you've got the recipes on there. Mm. Um, so 1st of June. Mm. So when this podcast comes out, we'll get the link and we'll we'll put it into the show notes and everything like that for people. Um, but I know that you've got, you're, you're just, you're going to do amazingly well with it. And I know that you said there's fear and I understand that, but please just believe how amazing, beautiful and wonderful you are. You, your energy, your authenticity, and you're just a shining light. Honestly, you really are. Just please keep being yourself. Oh. <laughs> You're so kind. I'm literally blushing. I'm like, oh my goodness. <laughs> like, receive, get that heart yeah. open, sister. Get it open. Receive, oh, receive. God. Thank you so much. Just though, receive it all. Thank you. Receive it all. Thank you, it all. Really Thank you so, so much for coming on. Thank you.